Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agdarab. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. Claudia Carvales is a theologian, liturgist, performer, artist, and activist. Originally from Brazil, he is the Associate Professor of Worship at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. He is ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA and is the author of multiple books, including Liturgies from Below, Praying with the People at the End of the World, Praying with Every Heart, Orienting Our Lives to the Wholeness of the World, and most recently, Inventory, Metamorphoses, and Emergencies, How Do We Become Green People and Earth Communities? The following excerpts are from a lecture Claudio gave during the 2022 Spiritual Formation in Today's World One Year Online Academy. The 2023-2024 cohort of that begins August 24 to 26 later on this year. You can find more information on the One Year Online Academy as well as additional opportunities such as a civil rights pilgrimage in November 2023 when you visit academy.upperroom.org. For over 50 years, we have commemorated Earth Day in April, and yet investment in our planet feels like such an onerous task. What does it mean to recite, the Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, when it comes to honoring Earth Day? What is our task as followers of the way who experience the fullness of God revealed in nature when it comes to divesting of systems that wreak havoc on the Earth? Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently. Perhaps you will hear an invitation to experience the natural revelation of God, God's glory present in the created world, in new ways that can, in fact, be life-giving. Another thing that we need to think, friends, in terms of knowing, is that we have been ripped apart from the earth. We have been separated from the earth in such a way that the earth became something out there and we are something here. That notion of this separatedness has made us be almost in a fight against what we call nature. And even the notion of nature is a creation of, again, modernity, which in order to understand the self, it had to create it over against something that's why modernity and colonization and um, uh, the uh, transatlantic um, racism, the notion of the self that the Europeans created were always over against something. They had a sense of themselves by way of detaching themselves from nature by way of 
organizing themselves against black people, against indigenous people, against oriental people. And that's how the notion of the self started to be built. When we look at people that have relation with the land, like indigenous people, like African people, the notion of the self can never be understood away from the land. The gods are the gods of the land. The way of becoming an adult has to do with rites of passages in relation to the land. You have to hunt, you have to be separated, or there's this indigenous um, community that they, they have uh, ants inside of a glove and have to put your hands that bite, and, and you have to go through the pain in order to understand how to face pain in your pain in your life. But everything is related to other beings around you. To be born has to do with the relation with the earth, with the land. To die, all of the rites of, of uh, rituals and the funerals are ways of reconnecting the body with the land. For instance, there's this, some of the Eskimos, when uh, you become an elder and you are in your last days, either the elder walks into the deep of the, uh, of the snow or you are taken there and you're left there and you're going to be eaten by the animals. But why they do that? Because then they will hunt the animals. And then your ancestor comes back to your body. You, be, you become again part of the, of the community. You have a sense of feeding the animals who fed you throughout your life. And then you are back into the heart of the community when the animals are, are, are hunted. But if we look at our, at our faith, there's very little to do with the earth. We had before, if you look at the Jewish faith, everything is organized around the earth all the celebrations, the festivities. Even the uh, Passover, which, was, which is our um, uh, Pentecost, it was based on a, celeb a harvest celebration. But what do you have in our, our churches that celebrate the harvest? Nothing. We might mention it if we pray, if we preach in a, in a service, but that's it. What do we have to do with the processes of the earth? 
our liturgy have nothing to do with the earth anymore. It's all, it's all about time. Look at our liturgies. Our liturgy is all about time. It's the time for Advent. It is the time for uh, Transfiguration. It's the time for Lent. It's the time of common time. It's the Advent again and keep on going. What does it have to do? Well, there's something about Advent that has to do with the solstice. Or the dates, when the dates come, depending on the uh, on the sun. But what is it that we do that we are in reciprocal relationship with the earth? Zero. When we think about theology, the earth is called, uh, in most of Protestant churches, the earth is the, uh, how's it called, the um, uh, natural revelation. You know, we have two forms of understanding the revelation of God, the natural revelation and the full revelation. What is the natural revelation? Nature, you know? There is a way in which the God's creation reveals God's glory. But it doesn't have the power of salvation. Then you have the full revelation with Jesus Christ. When we relate to to the earth well even some of the gospels say well we are going we are just uh we are not citizens of this earth we are citizens of heaven and what we have done is to see this life going through on earth almost like a path to go to what really matters heavens And why we live here, we live here without landing. It is as if we are walking on top of the earth, doing everything on top of the earth, and never landing. I'll give you an example. I just read, uh, no, about two years ago, I, I, I read this. Um, I was a part of a... a, a, a PhD dissertation of this person, this student who wrote about uh, liturgy of space. And he wrote about 400 pages of liturgy and space and church and buildings and symbols. And every single thing was covered in his fantastic um, dissertation. You know, the... Um, the, the the artistic forms of the building, the shapes that have everything have a theological meaning, and inside why the uh, the table the Eucharistic table is in the center and not and you know the pulpit is on the side and why some things hanging and the colors and everything. 
throughout those 400 pages, there was no mention about the land. It was as if the church was just like hanging on top of the earth. But this is how we organize our churches as well. When we look at our churches, and when we look at, for instance, at of trees next to our houses or in public square or around our church, what do we see them uh, as? Decoration. And, oh, it's annoying. Uh, somebody that I know very well just took away this beautiful, fantastic old tree because this person wanted 150 uh, feet or, or no, 10 feet more of concrete for the garage. What is what are the places of plants in our congregations if not just for decoration in the at the altar in the altar or 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 the table whatever your tradition calls it it's just decoration why because you have no relation with the earth we like it it's it you know it's nice but we have this relation that we have received with nature is out there, and we all it's and we see nature like we see God. We fear or we are in awe. We fear or oh, you know storms and hurricanes and all of that. We we fear it because it can do things that are are not under our control. And that's why we have this sense of controlling the earth. That's our main task, to control the earth. And that comes also from a very awful reading of Genesis 1. When, when the first, you know, Genesis have two narrations of the beginning of the earth, right? Genesis 1 and 2. And we get the number one and we messed up. Because it says it says that uh, you have you were called to have dominion. That's the word dominion over nature, and that's what we have been doing since. Our relation with the earth is one of dominion. It's not a relation of a relation in terms of a reciprocal mutual relation. Because what we have thought, what we have heard and learned is that nature or the natural world are just a thing. It's not anything alive, it's a thing for us at our disposal, for us to engage the way we want and need. And because of that, we destroy everything. 
We extract everything. You know, coloniality continues because it keeps uprooting everything from the earth, destroying everything from the earth. And you know what we have what happened to us, my friends? We have lost the world. We have lost the earth. Anything that we do have to do with the land. For instance, when we are anxious, we take a medicine. We never go and sit down on the ground, hold to a tree, and say, stay here with me. We don't go to the birds to listen. We don't go to the rivers to pause. We have no relation because we were uprooted. We are all moderns in that sense, but we are not moderns in that sense because we come from the earth. We are made of soil. We were made of hummus. That's what we are. We are made of this, the um, dust of the stars. The same chemical elements in, in the skies are in us. But what happened to us that we don't that we don't go back? We don't fall back to this anymore. When you do, for instance, our 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 baptism, we use water, right? We are what 75-80% made of water. So we are baptized with that which is ourselves. But you are so detached from the earth that we use tap water, mineral water from plastic thing. But we never, ever even mention the river next to the church. Perhaps you don't even know the names of the river next to the church. All our rivers are mostly polluted. What if, remember that I said, let's know, let's have no worship without justice that um, Mark Ellis have said. I would say, let's not have any baptism until our rivers are clean. I had a class that we were talking about the earth and, and theology and worship, and then the students had to do something as a final project. And then I had this student that was fascinating. <laughs> she did something really crazy, but amazing. So she went back to her church and she led a renewal of baptism. She created a renewal of baptism, but what she did was to go back to the river next to the church and fill up a jug of water and you know some of the liturgies that that do it like you pour the water into the, the baptismal font right and so she brought this water dirty completely dirty with stuff in it 
and she poured that and you some of the stuff would splash into the blah, blah, blah. And the water coming down and said, let us renew a baptism, the waters of the rivers of God and how God loved us and called us. And, and we are blessed by, by God. And then she got, um, you know, some uh, uh, leaves, you know, uh, how do you call it? We put a lot of leaves together to, uh, to asperge. So she put inside of the water and she did that too. <laughs> she throw the water in the people. She said she would not do it. But when she did that, literally, she said that 30% of the church run away, run outside. They just stood up from the Pope, from the pews and run to the back. And the other people who are too close, they went down in the pews. <laughs> I said, are you crazy? And she said, no, I needed to do this. I need to remind of our church of where the water comes from. It doesn't come from, the, uh, from a faucet that I turn on and the water comes from there. It comes from the river. And so <laughs> it was fascinating. Another group of students at Union they also brought the water from the river and they actually baptized, uh, kind of did a baptism because they were supposed to do a baptism. And they brought all the water and all the stuff. There was noodles and, and plastic stuff. And then they poured on the body of this. <laughs> Anyways, just to show if we were to do that with the waters of our rivers, we would be in deep trouble. Why we don't connect? Why this is so surprising? We are all having poison in our bodies because of um, poison that people put into, into, into the fields. Most of agriculture is drenched with pesticides. And pesticides that go into, into the earth into the soil that then goes into the GMO, yeah, also it goes into the uh, into the rivers and goes into the fish because they have no 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 relation. We think that this is going to be there forever, that we'll be replenishing everything all the time. We need to think that we are symbiotic beings, my friends. We are symbiotic beings because symbiosis is the way that we live with one another. Have you heard of Lynn Margolis? He's a famous biologist who changed the course of biology with the notion of symbiosis. Symbiosis is the way that the, the planet started to cope with the presence of oxygen. It was the plants who created the oxygen. And then she says, let me find here. She said, symbiosis is the system in which members of the different species live in physical contact, strikes us as an arcane concept and a specialized biological term. This is because of our lack of awareness of its prevalence. She says, not only are our guts and eyelashes 
infested with bacterial and animal symbionts. But if you look at your backyard or community park, symbionts are not obvious, but they are omnipresent. Clover and vetch, common weeds, have little balls of, on their roots. These are the nitrogen-fixing bacteria that are essential for health growth in a nitrogen-poor soil. Then takes the trees, the maple, oak, and hickory. As many as 300 different fungal symbionts, the uh, mycorrhizae we notice are, are as mushrooms are inter entwined in their roots. Oh, look at, a, look at a dog. We can look at Vaughn's dog, who usually fails to notice the symbiotic worms in his gut. We are symbionts on a symbiotic planet. And if we care to, we can find symbiosis, symbiosis everywhere. And you know that in the 60s, the biology field started because they were, see, that's how economy are also relates to everything. It was a moment when everything that communism had to do away with because of the Cold War. And so there was a strong relation between biology and economy. And so they had to say that capitalism was better than socialism. And so a lot of scholars start to say that if you look at the genes, they are individual cells that, that mind their own business. There is this book called The uh, Selfish Gene that made a way into biology at that time by this uh, British uh, scholar uh, who, who said that every gene only thinks about itself and attacks others and protects itself and, 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 and so a whole theory about it. Lee Margolis will say exactly the opposite. He says, no. If you, if you have a, a problem here in the top of your finger, the whole body is going to work for the finger to be healed. They're not selfish whatsoever. They work with each other. They work for the, 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 the well-being of the full body. So that notion of the selfish gene was the notion of the survival of the fittest. And that's how we organize society. The ones who are stronger will survive. And the ones who are selfish will survive. That's how we do it with everything. That's how we do with best students, best pastors and steeple churches. We do a, a survival of the fittest in our own uh, denominations as well. But, and what is happening is that because of that, and because of everything has an economic value, the economy wants to destroy the diversity, the vast uh, amount of diversity in our world. There's so many animals, so many plants, but we are shrinking even the agriculture. 
um, for instance, today, 75% of the world's food is generated only by 12 plants and five animal species. Only 4% of the 250 and 300,000 known edible plant species. Out of the 300,000, only 150 or 200 are used today. Or only three, basically, rice, corn, and wheat are used by 60% of the calories and proteins obtained by humans from plants. But we look at ourselves. This diversity that we see in, in, the, in the world, in the natural world, is the diversity we have within us. Just why we're just the same. We have, there's this uh, scientist in Brazil, Antonio Nobrega, that says this. We have 37, mi 37 trillion individual cells besides the perhaps 50 trillion prokaryote prokaryote cells in our body each cell has 100 trillion atoms within a cell there are 23000 genes and 92000 proteins the human body is a walking galaxy of cellular systems. Isn't that fascinating? That's who we are. And we are talking about in the discrete self, about just this kind of a me that I find somewhere. When we start to move and start to have a sense of relationality, we start to have what I'm talking about here as metamorphosis. And let me tell you the notion of metamorphosis that I'm using is from this, um, you can read his book, Emanuela Coscia. From his book, Metamorphosis, Emanuela Coscia, which is an Italian biologist and philosopher. He says, let us call metamorphosis this twofold self-evident truth. Every living thing is in itself a plurality of forms, simultaneously present and successive. But none of these forms truly exists autonomously or separately because they're always defined in immediate continuity with an infinite number of others that come before and after. Metamorphosis is both the force that allows every living thing to be staged simultaneously and successively across several forms and the breath of life that connects those forms with one another, allowing them to pass into the other. Which means, my friend, when we arrive here, there was a lot of components, a lot of people, a lot of agencies that composed our bodies. And when we die, there's a lot of our body that becomes something else and becomes food for somebody else. So we are this ongoing uh, metamorphosis, ongoing. 
if we understand it this way, we start to see that we are more related to the land than we can even imagine. And to land is to start paying attention to the land. And then a fundamental change has to happen within us, my friend. And the fundamental change is what Ramon was bringing about just five minutes before. Everything is alive. And everything has agency. Everything moves and shifts and transforms everywhere. If you look at landscape, the earth moves. The earth moves every year about, uh, how much is it? About one kilometer every, every year. The church moves and shifts. The patterns of things changes because everything is alive. Every little plant, every soil, everything. If we talk about the soil, it is a composition of years. What, when we touch the soil, we are touching dead animals. We are touching water. We are touching other creatures. We are touching the sun. In every soil, we are touching rocks. You're talking sedimentation. It's absolutely rich when you talk about the soil. And the soil, uh, the soil is dying everywhere. And without soil, we cannot plant, we cannot eat, but we are dying. When we look at, at the poison, have you read The Silent uh, Spring by Rachel Carlson? Rachel Carson has, has talked about the pesticides even in the 60s and saying, you know what the pesticides will do? They will contaminate the soil. They will contaminate the plants. They will contaminate the flowers and the bee and, and, and the birds are going to start dying. Just like the vast amount of death of bees everywhere. And bees and pollinators are responsible for 80% of our food. Bees. My friends, my friends, my friends, if we don't pay attention to the land, there is not going to be a future generation. If you don't take our faith back to the land, there is not going to be a future. Dear one, welcome back. Let yourself arrive once again. You are here. Whether you're on the road or in a room, you are on land. Let your feet be planted firmly because there is no falling for you are held. You're held by land that has been tended by caretakers and ancestors who moved upon this earth in order to enact ritual. Rituals of building a home, of caring for family, of feeding that family, and returning thanks for the provision. 
In our churches, the liturgical year marks our time when we celebrate moments within the life of Christ that make meaning in our own lives. But I hear Claudio's question and I failed to come up with anything significant when asked, what do we really do in reciprocal relationship with the earth that helps the church mark time? Nothing. But I wonder what would be different if we did. What would be true about your community's way of worship if we engaged the earth and its seasons in a more genuine, reciprocal way? What rituals would change? What food would be offered if we only depended on what's in season? What symbols would be used in worship if we had more relationship to the land and the waterways around us? Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held and a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Claudio, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.